If you have your scripture with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn to the book of John for just a moment. I'm very thankful for Brother Will. I'm thankful for his testimony. Uh, A lot of the things that you said will preach very well. And uh, I would like to grab onto all of them, but I won't today. Uh, But he said a lot of things that I think a lot of Christians today need to understand. One of the things that I appreciated was how he accredited God with his suffering and his sanctification. God has allowed, if you like the word allowed, God has caused, I would go so far as to say that. You, can, you might like the word permitted, that's fine. God permits what he allows. God uh, is in control. And if he can bring us into a closer relationship with him through some form of suffering, then I say, for me, so be it. That's what Job said. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him because he is infinitely worthy. And of course, the last thing that he said there, one of the last things that he said was so wonderful. That the greatest thing in the world is to be a soldier in the army of the Lord. One of these days, there will be no America. There will only be one people. They will be redeemed, the Bible says, out of every kindred, out of every nation, out of every tribe and language and people. There will be a people made into the people of God. The Bible says that all of the nations will become the people of God and of His Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, the book of John chapter 8, let me just get through this song here. And we will look at this concept of true freedom for just a few moments. Just a few moments. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The sin, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in the name of the Lord Jesus, in his authority, by his blood and righteousness, we approach boldly before the throne of grace. As our brother mentioned, with a passionate burden on our hearts, knowing and realizing today without any tragedy, but by your grace and by your spirit and your holy word, we recognize, O oh God, the seriousness today, the seriousness of the imminency of death. 
Our lives, as we learn from the book of James, are just but a vapor. They appear for a little while and then vanish away. Every day is a gift, not a guarantee. And Lord, we don't know what today will hold. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But Father, we have this moment, this day, to do what is right in your sight. And so I pray that you will come and your presence will just begin to work in our hearts and our lives. Father, we ask you to help us to understand what Jesus is saying in this text. Help us, O God, to see how we can rightly apply it to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What if there were thousands of people today who believe in the teachings of Christianity and yet are not saved? What if there are thousands of people today meeting in church houses and maybe many in this room who believe in the teachings of Christianity and yet are not saved? People who are not, as the Bible would say, here's a Bible term, genuinely born again. But neither are they hostile to Christianity. They believe the doctrines, but they are not committed to the person of Jesus Christ and are not really His. Jesus said that one day at the judgment, many will say unto Him, Lord, Lord, and He will say unto them, Depart from me, you who work iniquity, I never knew you. They believe, but they are not disciples. They do not deny Christ, but neither do they follow him. Are you listening yet? It is very possible that there are thousands of people in churches this morning, church houses this morning. They believe and they intellectually give their assent to the doctrines of Christianity and the person of Jesus Christ, but they are not saved. Why? Well, that's what Jesus is talking about in this text. Let's think for a moment about two kinds of belief. Two kinds of belief. One kind of belief leads to an eternal hell. The other kind of belief leads to true freedom and eternal life. I want you to ask yourself, even before we go any farther, which do you believe that you have? Do you believe this morning that you had just mentally, you have, you have said, I believe in the doctrines of Christianity. I believe that Jesus was a man who, I believe he was God's son. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he arose from the grave. And yet you are not saved. Or are you one who is a follower, a disciple, one who is committed to Jesus, and one who has the radical transformation we call being born again? Ask yourself. It's not up to me to determine who it is. It's not up to you to determine anyone else in this room except for yourself. Where do you fit? Now let's think about these two kinds 
of belief. If you look in verse 30, we did not read this one, of the same chapter. Now, if you're using a King James Version, you will not be able to see the distinction that is made in the Greek. And I can't pronounce the word, so I'm not going to try. Later on, I'm working on that diligently. But I can tell you this about that, about verse 30. The word believe in verse 30 is not the same word in verse 31. One of the things about translating the scriptures from the original languages into the vernacular of, of the setting of the people group is to try to find a language that is appropriate. Sometimes it's difficult to find language that is fitting to go from the original language. It was originally written in the Old Testament, in the book of Hebrew, in, in, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, and the New Testament was written in Greek, and there were some places that were actually originally written in Aramaic. Very small places, but there were. It's very possible that our Lord and Savior Himself, and I believe personally with all conviction, that He did speak Greek. It was the common language of His day. Anyways, we'll close that parenthesis there. You can't sometimes see it in the translation. Because if you look at it there in verse 30, it says, And he was saying these things to many. And when, as he was saying these things, many believed him. And then you look at verse 31. There's another kind. But if you look at the way I put it on the screen, this is the way that it is. This is the difference in these two words. Believed in him or on him. You can put the word on right there. In him or on him in verse 30. But in verse 31, they believed him. It's, it, is, it is a different connotation. There's a little twist, even though it comes from the same root word in the Greek language. It is not the same word. And it does not have the same flavor of meaning. And the context is going to bear out the case that I'm making here. The context is going to tell us that it is true what we're trying to say. If you look in verse 30, the way it is, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. There were people, and this is the word in verse 30, for genuine belief. And what I'm going to call this morning, biblical faith. Biblical faith. That's what the writer of the book of, that's what James was writing. That's what we've been learning about. There is a difference between a cognitive assent to, to, a, to a set of um, information, and there is a difference between that and biblical faith. We often say someone believes something. But what does it mean in the scripture, in the New Testament especially, for you to believe in Jesus Christ? It is not for you to say that I believe Jesus was of Nazareth, that he went to the cross and died and rose again, ascended into heaven. That is not biblical faith. To say that you believe that is not biblical faith. I got you really looking now. I love it. Why do I say that? Because every demon in hell believes that. And yet they are not saved. I'll give you another way that you can think about it. I'll use my personal life as an example. I, there is never a moment in Kevin Belcher's life that I can recall that I did not believe in Jesus. I was raised in a Christian home from my, from my birth. I was, I was a preacher's kid. I was brought up in the church. I went to church nine months before I was ever born. 
I had one of my very few whippings from my mama right outside on the church porch. She didn't give me very many. I could always talk her out of it. <laughs> uh, Dad wasn't so easy. But I have always believed in Jesus. Always. But I, was not, I have not always been saved. Because there is a different kind of belief, of belief that happens to an individual that must happen to you this morning if it hasn't happened. And it must happen to your family members if it hasn't happened. And it has to happen. Jesus is saying in this text, there are two kinds of belief. One will send you to hell and one will send you to heaven. One kind of belief saves. And that's what I'm calling biblical Faith. You see, it's one thing to believe some or most of what Jesus is saying, and it's a very different thing to believe on Him. Still not convinced, are you? <laughs> Think about Judas for a moment. Would anybody disagree that Judas believed something about Jesus Christ? He was one of his early followers. As a matter of fact, he followed Him all the way up until he betrayed Him. He believed him. There was a certain thing about Jesus that he believed about him. But yet, when 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 it really counted, when the, when when he was faced with the temptation of betraying Jesus, the innocent blood, the innocent one, he was willing to side in opposition to Jesus rather than put his faith and trust and dependency upon him and protect him and to stand with him and for him in his time of need. But yet he believed something about him. See, what it was, he lacked a genuine faith in the person of Jesus Christ. He believed that he was a good man. He believed that he was a miracle worker. He believed that he could do things that were powerful and miraculous. He believed that, that there was something about this man that was worthy of following to begin with. But as time went on, what was proven was that he lacked true biblical faith. Perhaps you may have heard of the famous French acrobat years ago who was able to walk across the Niagara Falls upon a tightrope. You ever heard of that story? Got a guy doing that kind of stuff today, too, I think. I, I heard rumors of it. But this guy, this French acrobat, it was reported that he walked across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope that was 1,100 feet long and 160 feet above the water. And once he even carried a man across on his back. And then he carries the man back across on the tightrope. And there's a large crowd standing there and they're watching him do this the whole time. Intense anticipation. Oh goodness, is he going to make it? The poor guy that's on his back. He makes it over. He makes it back. He sets the man down and he turns to the crowd. And there's another man standing there with the other observers. And he says... Do you believe that I can carry you across this tightrope? And the man says to him, sure, I believe you can do it. I just watched you do it. He said, well, hop on and I'll take you across. And he says, not on your life. <laughs> See the difference? He believed he could do it, right? But he didn't believe in him. He didn't believe on him. Because biblical faith is not intellectual agreement with certain statements about Christ. Biblical faith 
is an apprehension of Jesus. It is a believing and is a trusting. It is a dependency upon the person of Christ so that you place your life in his hands. Jesus says to those in our text in verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, these Jews believed him. That's what the text says. I'm not making it up. You look at it. And he's warning them. There's grace in these words of Jesus. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And they begin to argue with him with their national pride. We're the children of Abraham. We've never been continually oppressed and enslaved by anyone. Jesus says to them in verse 34 what true freedom is all about. He says, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Anyone, listen, who does not abide in the words of Jesus Christ, you are abiding in sin. It doesn't matter whether you come to church. It doesn't matter whether you say that you believe the doctrines of Christianity. If in your daily life, you're living in stark opposition to the word of Jesus Christ and his commandments, Jesus says, you are not my disciple. I didn't say it. He said it. If you abide in my words, you will be my disciple. Why does he tell them that? Because he knows their hearts. And they begin to argue with him. And he says, the slave does not remain in the house. Verse 35. He's using this illustration of the slaves in the Hebrew uh, culture in the Old Testament. An Israelite who had become subjected to another Israelite as a slave, as a servant, would not remain in that house beyond six years. He could serve for six years, but on on the seventh year, he was to be set free. And Jesus is using this analogy. He says, you're not like a son because the son will one day inherit the whole inheritance of the father. But the slave after six years is going out. You, he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now verse 37 is going to tell the tale. He says, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my... Look at that. See, see, what does it say? Because my words find no place in you. Does Does that ring a bell? What did he say in verse 31? If you abide in my word, you're true to my disciple. And he says, you're seeking to kill me. (laughs) You say that you believe... There's something in you that is saying, I believe. He turned to the Jews who had been following him. They've been following him, been following him. But he says, he turns to them and says, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciple. But if you depart, you're like Judas. If you depart, you're not my disciple. If you don't abide in the word and the commandments of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't work to be saved. We know that's true. But your work proves that you are saved. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's saying. 
True biblical belief is not sometimes, not part of the time, not almost, almost all of the time. Listen to me. It is all the time, every time, all the time. True biblical faith is accompanied by obedience to the lordship of Jesus. And he's warning them. And it's a gracious warning to believe. Not with your mind, but to lay your life down into the hands or upon the back of Jesus. Who can take you across that tightrope. Who can, who can bear your weight and give you true and lasting freedom. Very quickly, he calls them to true faith in verse 31. True faith. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not simply to believe certain things with your mere intellect, but to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, have you committed your life to Christ? If I were to bring you up here and say, okay, put the evidence on the table. What is the evidence that you are committed to Jesus Christ? What would you have to lay on the table? To follow the Lord Jesus Christ and His teaching into true faith and commitment to Jesus as the Lord of your life. He calls them not only the true faith, but the true freedom. True freedom is freedom from sin. He says in verse 32. How does He do it? Very quickly. Through the truth. Through the truth. The issue at stake in this text is that Jesus Christ is going about doing all of these miracles. And he's preaching the gospel. Repent and believe. Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden. I am the bread of life. I am the door of life. I am the good shepherd. Would you come to me? He says, if I am the bread of life, he who comes to me will never hunger again and never thirst. So he's calling people to him and people are following him. People are following him everywhere he goes. People are saying they want to be disciples like Judas. They're saying, I want to be a disciple. I'll follow you. And Jesus is saying that you need that it needs to go beyond that. It needs to be deeper than that. It needs to move into the realm where you are volitionally with the will and passionately from your heart, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and committing yourself to him as Lord. So that when you pick up this book, it's not just a book that you read like any other book. But when you pick it up and you see the words of Jesus, you say, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus. That's what it means to know the truth. The truth about who Jesus is. The only begotten Son of God who came into the world to save sinners. To understand who He truly is. Jesus said of himself that he was the person of truth. He says in John 14, 6, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The truth, the person of truth. And no man comes to the Father but by me. So let me ask you in closing. Do you recognize your enslavement to sin? Are you a slave? Do you understand that you need a Savior, that you cannot break the chains that hold you fast? Do you recognize that Jesus is God's Son who came into the world to die in your place and to arise from the grave and to ascend into heaven? Why is that important? It's not just important so you say, oh, I believe that. 
It's important because that is the very means through which you can be set free. It is the very means, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the preaching of the gospel is the very means through which you can be forgiven of your sins. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only cleansing agent that can save your soul. That's why it's important. And this will bring true forgiveness and will grant you eternal life. If I would have had time, I would have further talked about how this is applicable to everyone in this room, whether you're a sinner or a saint. Because as Brother Will was talking about, even though we are, many of us, and I trust, I hope you are, I pray that you are or will be born again, that you will be a true believer. And even though you are, you still struggle with sin. (laughs) And the answer is still Jesus Christ. It's not your personal performance, but it is resting assured upon the blood and righteousness of Jesus. And knowing that he gives you the power to live for his glory. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of our time this morning, we're thankful for your word, inspired, inerrant, infallible. The word that teaches us about Jesus, the living word, the person of truth. This morning we pray, O oh God, that if there's one here that has not believed with a biblical faith, one that lays hold of the feet of Jesus, one that recognizes their desperate need for a Savior because they are totally inadequate to save themselves and falling upon the mercy of the court, crying out, Oh God, Oh Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. On the basis of what Jesus did on that cross, please forgive me and save me and come into my life. I pray there's one here that you will help them. Maybe today they will move from the realm of religion to a relationship. Move from the realm of cognitive ascent to the realm of being committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, for those who have, help us to rest upon the finished work of the cross. Help us to lean hard upon you when times are so difficult. And help us to trust in you that you'll get us to the other side. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.